This is Melted Snow Podcast, episode 16. In this show, I'll be speaking with Paul Gleason about the spirit of adventure, rowing across the Atlantic Ocean, performance coaching, and the challenges of starting a new business. Paul also reflects on his life experience so far, and I ask him to give his key insight to living an authentic life. Lots to dig into here, some great nuggets of wisdom. As always, Thanks for listening, and on with the show. When I think about when someone says, Can you tell me a bit about your background? I was um, like a, from Limerick, um, brought up there. Really, I think I was very fortunate growing up that um, I didn't have any major problems in terms of happy home, was mad about sports, tried everything I could get my hands on. I remember at one point I got to, I got to about 12 and I was playing hurling and football and soccer and rugby and mum was like, look, you have to learn how to read and write as well. So, you know, one of these things has to go. But I think I was, I think I only appreciate it more now that, like the, I suppose the opportunities that my folks put in front of me and none of it was forced. It was like, yeah, you want to play hurling? Grand, off you go. And I remember when I was, um, I was 11, so it was before I went into secondary school, and a lot of my friends, like in Limerick, pretty much most of the schools are, are you know, public schools. Um, so most of my friends would have been going to a school at Crescent, um, comprehensive, and uh, I didn't play rugby, and Dad, in fairness to him, was thinking ahead, going, it is a rugby school, I don't know if this fellow would like rugby or not, but he brought me out, you know, said, do you want to play rugby? And I can still remember where I was when he asked me this, I had no interest at all, mm. but I said, oh, okay and did it under 11s or 12s or something in the club. Hated it, but I didn't tell him that. And went into Crescent, a lot of my friends, and then started playing rugby. And just for, literally from the first match, I just loved it. So it just, he had sort of cunningly or maybe astutely just planted a seed, but it was never forced. Um, and even going back when I was younger, like when I was four, I think, and I was afraid of dogs. And when we, because we, I was actually born in Dublin, but we moved to Limerick when I was, we were one and a half, two, and mum and dad had, were building a house. We were living with my uncle, and he, I'd get dropped off the end of the road, and they'd be going off to work. And it was a little like play school, and I'd walk down the road, and I used to get chased by dogs. Now in my head, they were like these mad. They were probably little terriers or something, but I was afraid of dogs. So again, mum and dad were like, right, let's let's get a dog. So when I was maybe probably four-ish, I'd say, you know, we got a dog, and I love dog. You know, it was sort of let's. Let's not make a big deal out of this, but let's let's encourage him to sort of maybe get over it. So I was really like I was really lucky growing up, um, and it was interesting in terms of sort of so your background. I was in Boston two years ago, um, speaking at a conference, and funny it was just this came up with my girlfriend this morning. We were talking about it, and it was a twelve minute talk, and what they they were called bold talks, and that when I was preparing for it. It reminded me of you know, when you're bold and you know, your mom cracks out the wooden spoon or whatever, chasing you around the table. And I just it brought me back to a time that mom used to always say to me growing up, there's no such thing as can't. And it used to annoy the bejesus out of me, like, um, you know, oh, I can't do my homework. Oh, there's no such thing as can't. And mom, I can't do it. But that was sort of imprinted, I think, in me, in sort of my belief system, unknown at that time. And I remember probably about four or five years ago being at a talk that a US psychologist was doing. 
and he was explaining that when I think up to the age of about four or five that the human brain is exposed to different types of wavelengths I think there's four or five different types and one of them that you're really exposed to at a young age is one that it forms a lot of your, your belief systems um, so that's how you know they, obviously you have kids I, I don't yet but when people say you know kids are sponges and the first four or five years are really important mm. and it was like nearly a light bulb moment because he was he was saying yeah you can you can change your ways and stuff but your your wiring if you like can come at you from a very young age and then I'm thinking of this thing I grew up with there's no such thing as can't mm-hmm. and I think it has ingrained in me you know when some of the expeditions and stuff that I've done it's like I, when someone says oh you can't do that I always like and you instinctively get my back up and go well why not like you know everyone has different abilities capabilities mindsets etc so I think that you know my background growing up like you know I went to college then in, in Limerick um, like a lot of people at sort of 17 you know, I didn't really know what I didn't have a strong interest in in, in any particular field um, like I got a couple of friends one friend one of my good friends and he was like I want to be a doctor and that was his thing I, I didn't really so I went I did business studies in uh, in Limerick and even that I was like oh I want to go away from home and my sister had gone to UL and she loved her mum and dad are pretty chilled out they're not you know it's not like we were kept in a really tight leash growing up mm-hmm. um, so I, I decided to go to Limerick because I, I said I was going to do business studies and I felt the best degree because of work experience that you get was was in Limerick so yeah, I did that whatever I knew at 17 um, well my dad would have ran his own business for years and you know he sold it and he did very well you know over you know he started out of the back of a van and, and built it up and sold it 30 years later so maybe that probably might have had an influence on me and again there was never any had an influence on me in terms of what I chose I didn't really know what I wanted to do so yeah well sure I have a bit of an interest in business and do that and see where it takes me um, but I think I, I again growing up I suppose I would have had huge respect for for dad for both my parents but just for what he started and, and very humble and very just nearly understated but just went about his you know his business and did his thing and um, I think I learned a lot from him but I think I didn't realize it when I was younger I think it's probably only in the last 20 years maybe you sort of appreciate some of, of what you've actually picked up and then yeah I mean I went into uh I finished college and it was weird, my last year in college, I did a couple of modules of tax. I, I joined PwC, trained as a tax consultant, did that for three and a half years, probably a year and a half into it, I was like, oh my God, what am I at? This, I just wasn't, I wasn't interested in burying my head in the tax acts. And I sort of felt, I said, you know what, I'm not good or bad, I'm not, I'm not using my skills or my interests or, or um, in that area so you know I moved I left there it was a big enough decision at the time so I was like oh my god so my career then just went you know I went into into broader finance financial planning and wealth management and um, and then that I suppose led me on to you know some of the trips that I did um, and that just that changed my world changed my own my mind to just a different different way of, of I think of of being um, like I remember in, I read, I don't know if you've ever come across a book uh, called An Unsung Hero, it's about Tom Crean. No. Tom Crean was, um, he was back in the day, you know, in the sort of early 1900s, um, he would have been one of the explorers that was, you know, went to the South Pole, or what was, they were trying to get be the first to the South Pole, so he was on 
lot of expeditions with the likes of Shackleton and Scott and there wasn't that much known about him because when he came back he had three incredible like expeditions down there in such harsh conditions but he was very under from from what I can read I've read the book about him um, and Michael Smith wrote an absolutely amazing book about him but he didn't after he sort of hung up if you like his exploration boots he didn't really talk about it and there's a pub down in Alnascal in Kerry called the South Pole Inn and that's their family pub and so because of that like his name would have popped up in that other like the likes of Scott and Shackleton would have written about him and they would have been much more celebrated and then Michael Smith sort of I think really brought him to the consciousness of the Irish people and I remember reading that book and I was just blown away by it was like oh my god this is just what an amazing person um, and I was sort of, oh, I, have to, I want to do something physical. And uh, I decided to cycle from, I think I just finished exams, and I said, oh, I'm going to cycle from Dublin up, or sorry, from Limerick up to Dublin, where a bunch of us are going off for the weekend. So I said, lads, here, take my bag, I'll see you up there. And like, mum was like, what are you at? And you know, it was a 200k cycle or something, but I just felt like, oh, I want to, I want to do something. So that was done, and that was banked, and you know, I didn't really dwell on it, but then. A couple of years later then I was in New Zealand and uh, one of the lads was reading Lance Armstrong's first book, It's Not About the Bike. He, he, he sort of, I remember being in the back of the car in New Zealand, he was like, oh here, have a read of this, and sort of threw it back and I was like, oh. And again, I was just, I was inspired by, I suppose, his journey fighting, getting through cancer, getting back on the bike, regardless of mm-hmm. how the rest of that played out. And again, similar to probably when I read an Unsung Hero, I was like, oh, I like I want to take on some challenge and I just I just did this strong urge to do it so then I went to I was I was going to uh, Australia for I was going to spend a year there and uh, I just decided right I'm going to cycle across Australia and uh, I, again I don't know why I just got this idea in my head and so I said right I'll, I'll go coast to coast so literally take a swim the first thing I did I didn't tell anyone at the start and my parents came out for Christmas and my sister and we were I was living in Melbourne at the time, and we were going from Melbourne to Adelaide, like going on the, the Great Ocean Road. And I, I remember I was like, I'm going to tell them now at some point. So I was sort of starting to plan this, and I right, would I go west to east or east to west, and what would I need, and all this. And uh, we were driving along, and there was a guy coming against us, and he had all his bags on his bike, and I'd say he was maybe doing he was doing a long trip anyway. And I remember being I was in the front seat for some reason, Mom and Audrey were in the back, and Dad was driving. He's like, "Where's that knucklehead going?" <laughs> I was just going, yeah, I wonder where is he going at all, you know, and I was thinking to myself, well, the knucklehead beside is going to be telling you something later on. So I remember when I told them and they were like, mom, don't be daft, that's crazy or whatever. And it was probably easier because obviously they went back to Ireland and mm. I just started planning this and they weren't really mad about it, like, oh, you know, is it dangerous and cycling on highways and stuff. And um, But I think my memory, maybe I, I had banked in my head you know, I did that cycle from Limerick to Dublin. That's about two hundred k. You know, this was about five and a half thousand kilometers across, starting in Perth. I literally was like, go for a swim, get out, get on the bike, go finish in Bondi in Sydney, jump in the water there, and uh, I, I just in my head, I suppose I knew that right. I'd have to spend maybe a week, ten days, going across the Nullarbor. Have you ever been to Australia? No. So there's a section across the middle, um, the Nullarbor, from sort of. Calgary, which is just sort of uh, a couple of hundred kilometres, I suppose, three thousand kilometres maybe from Perth, and it's it's quite there's nothing really on it, like it's roadhouse, 
200k there's another roadhouse 200k another roadhouse and the roadhouse is like a petrol station come motel or come restaurant so um, I knew that stretch probably would be would be hard enough but in my head I was like well I've done 200k so surely you know I can just string that together for a few days and that was like that was an incredible experience because it, it, it did I remember saying to dad actually said it to me he said you know when you came back from because I was away for a couple of years traveling different parts of the world and uh, he said Jesus like you, you you've, you've changed in that you sort of come into yourself and like you chat away to the wall and, and sort of I probably started to think I was probably very happy-go-lucky I would still consider myself fairly happy-go-lucky but I probably I definitely probably questioned things more and so sort I of said well I remember thinking that the person who left in a way Ireland never came back yeah. in that sort of you know maybe you, you peel a layer off the onion you, you just sort of evolved and it's, we all do we all change and grow and mm-hmm. good times and bad times along the way that was probably the beginning of I suppose changing the course of my life I think. Right. difficult psychological aspect that you had to overcome and what I'm kind of maybe interested in or more interested mm. in is your mindset and how you first of all plotted and engaged with the overwhelming task that was ahead of you um, the physical endurance involved and then I suppose the insight that you both gained along the journey and took from the experience so there's a lot mm. in that question I know but yeah, 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 like that. No, totally. So, totally. do you want to pick one? Yeah, one, like, I mean, one you mentioned the Atlantic, yeah. and so was the Atlantic was probably a good, a good one. Like, I mean, to be frank, it was it was the hardest thing um, that I've ever done um, with any of these trips. Would, so, would you just tell me yeah. what exactly just what yeah, exactly yeah. was it, and then you can get into the yeah. The... So basically, um, every four years, it's every two years now. There was a race organized to row across the Atlantic Ocean. So you start in the Canary Islands and you finish in, the year that we did it, you finish in Antigua in the Caribbean. So it's two and a half thousand nautical miles across the ocean. And in essence, you it was part of a race. So you, you enter the race, there was teams of two, teams of four or solo rowers. And the boats are specifically built for this. And it's pretty simple in that you sort of you start at a certain date, the gun goes off, off you go and best of luck. See you in a couple of months at the other side. That's 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 what the I suppose the trip was. And when it came across my my I don't know, my plate, so to speak, uh, it was a good friend of mine mentioned it to me and I was intrigued straight away, even though that he wasn't a rower and I wasn't a rower. So we started to look into it and the only people in Ireland who had ever done it before up to that point were uh, two brothers from our club. Uh, Eamon and Peter Kavanagh, incredible people. So um, we tracked them down and went down and met them and said, you know, I, I can still vividly remember the first time we met Eamon and Peter. And I was talking to Eamon, it, they live in Arklo, we were down there standing outside the, the RNLI lifeboat station. And it's sort of a, uh, it was a two story building. And Eamon said, he said, you're going to have waves coming at you the size of that building and bigger. And he said to me, so Paul, trying to row across the Atlantic has nothing got to do with how much ocean experience you have or how good a rower you are. It's 
everything's going to be about how mentally tough you are. It's going to be all in the top two inches. And I remember sort of, I don't know if I said it to him at the time, I think I did. I remember sort of laughing and well, I don't have any ocean experience and I can't row, so <laughs> I'm glad you've said it. They're not critical factors. Um, so we, we, it, it sort of started very organically. So well, get into the boat and let's bring you out rowing. So at the time, Shane, my friend who had mentioned it, there was myself, him, and then my girlfriend at the time, Tori, I had mentioned it to her, and she said, you're nuts. And then when I explained what was involved, she was like, oh, I want to do it. So we sort of embarked on this adventure, the three of us, probably naively. And I think, looking back on it, that's a great thing to have a little bit of, a little bit of um, naivety in that you... Because if you, if you knew what was involved and what lay out ahead of you, sometimes you mightn't... You'd overthink it. You might go, jeez, oh, I don't know about that. But we just said, feck it, come on, let's just take one step and see what happens. The first step was meeting the lads. So we were going to try and get a fourth person. <laughs> Funnily enough, there wasn't a whole lot of people. I mentioned yeah. it a few friends and nobody was really interested. And then Shane decided not to not to do it. So it was effectively Tori and I said, right, well, let's just see where this, let's sort of ride this and see where it goes. So right. I suppose before long then, we, we, one of the things that we did at the start was like we definitely wanted to, like I pretty much ignored, the only people I really listened to was people who had done it, which was Eamon and Peter. So people saying, oh, you have to be rowing for years and you can't do this and you can't do that. Like in my mind, I was like, sorry, you don't know, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. These are guys who've done it. So like every time I went down and Tori went down, like we'd be just, it was nearly like, I, like, I remember one, one day we'd go down, we'd go training with the lads and obviously we were learning how to row and we'd often go back to Peter's house and we'd be sitting there, I just, we'd be peppering them with questions. Tell us about this. How did you deal with this? And part of it was we didn't, well, like, I, I knew at the time, I don't know what I don't know. So the stuff that I don't know, but I don't even don't know I don't know because I don't know what it is. That makes mm-hmm. sense. So yeah, I, we were yeah. trying to just absorb as much as we could from the lads. And I remember in the kitchen one evening and Eamon said, can you tie a bowline? And I said, no. And he looked at me <laughs> nearly with a face of disgust as if I could tie my shoelaces. And a bowline was just tie the knot. Um, so he said, stay there. And he comes back with a piece of rope and shows me how to do it. And he said, right, do it. So I was doing it. And he said, this is probably the only knot you need to know how to tie. Because once you tie it, the more you pull on it, the stronger it gets. So it's a useful knot <laughs> to be able to tie if you need to secure stuff out there. So I was there doing this and he said, no, I want you to close your eyes and do it because you might be in darkness out there and something happens and you have to be able to just instinctively do it. And I was doing that and I was there in the kitchen. I was like, I felt like I was in a Luke Skywalker and this was sort of Obi-Wan. And then he was, um, he said, right, now I want you to tie it around you and tie the knot. Again, sort of, if you ended up overboard or in, in a situation where you're just, you know, you have to secure yourself pretty quickly. So all these things were happening and again, we didn't probably fully appreciate it until we got out there. But to this day, I would think, not think, I know Eamon and Peter just taught us so much and they prepared us so well for that. And, you know, Eamon was approached by another team a couple of weeks after. he had, he had we, we ended up sort of sitting down with him at one point and saying, look, the boats are specifically built for this sort of trip. So, we, you know, we said, look, could we borrow the boat or buy it or rent it? Or, mm. And he said, no, he said, you can have it. And he said, on two conditions. He said, one, you don't rename it, because uh, the boat was and still is called the Christina, after their mother. And we said, yeah, absolutely. And the second condition was that he said, you don't give up. And I sort of looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he, he, 
he said, no, he sort of, he said, like, look, if you decide you've had enough out here and you set off your EPIRB, which is like an SOS beacon, yeah. and maybe a tanker could be a couple of hundred miles away, diverts, it comes and pick you up, you have to burn your boat. He said, you can't willingly, maritime law dictates, you can't willingly leave a floating vessel at sea because it's a danger to other craft. Mm. And he just left his coffee down. He says, don't come back to this fecking country. You burn my boat. <laughs> Probably didn't use fecking. <laughs> so it was part of the preparation was, I suppose, you're looking at, right, we've got this big trip, if you like, that we're trying to plan. And there's learning how to row. There's, you know, it was nearly just listing down what are the, t- what are the skills that we need to have and I was trying to just shut out the noise of good intention, but friends and family going, yeah, it's crazy and mm. stupid. And, you know, and I, could, I could understand where they were coming from, but it was just trying to, I suppose, focus on what we needed to do to get ready. So some of it, there was an element of the skills, the navigation, sea survival, first aid courses, definitely the, the what ifs. So if that happens, if that goes wrong, like we had two axes on board, we had an axe in the cabin, we had an axe on deck for specific reasons, if the boat flipped and we didn't self-right, mm. and we talked through this, so say I could be, because you'd be rowing in two-hour shifts, so I'd row for two hours, and then Tori would rest, then she'd come on row for two hours, I'd rest, and you do that 24 hours a day, so you do 12 hours each, every day, and we had to sort of think, well, if the boat did capsize and it flipped, and if the person couldn't get out from underneath, depending on if, if the hatch got jammed or with water pressure, they might need to hack out, but they could get they could have been you know thrown inside the cabin they could get knocked out you might have to hack in from the outside so there was all these little things that you had to try and think out which were maybe somewhat theoretical in that they might not happen but you had to sort of prepare for it because you were very much you're on your own out here um so i think there was that element to it but then there was also the mindset part and some of this i, I wasn't i mightn't have known some of the science behind it but we were very like I I'm I've, I'm a huge believer that if you get your mindset, in if your mindset is right and if it's in tune with something in here that you're genuinely passionate about, that there's an awful lot that we can do collectively as human beings that I think we don't give ourselves credit for. Um. So I was I would have been aware of this, but preparing for this trip, we we really looked at the granular details of some of it. So as an example, when we'd open our eyes in the cabin, uh, before and the cabin is tiny, like it's like a little one-man tent size, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, and we had pictures of family and friends on the roof, or on the, uh, just on, yeah, right in front of you. So they were the first things you saw when you opened your eyes. And it was meant to sort of give you a bit of a pick-me-up. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the cabin, as you'd be climbing out on deck, we had a little, there was a tile that was just given to us. And I think things happened for a reason as well. So when we were in the Canaries getting ready, all the teams were down there for about two weeks beforehand because everything had to be scrutinized and tested and stuff. And one of the boat builders gave us this little tile and just said the difficulty we do immediately, the impossible takes a little longer. So we put this tile in right by the hatch and it was as we climbed out onto the oars and you close the hatch, it would be one of the last things you, you saw. And then on the bulkhead of the cabin in front of you, again, there was, there was an, a, an expression I came across. It was actually Lance Armstrong's book. It just said, pain is temporary, quitting lasts forever. And it was just, again, we, we, we wrote this on the bulkhead of the cabin. And again, I can distinctly remember the day Tori wrote it. She, she turned, she, is, there, is there one or two T's in quitting? 
and there was another book beside us. Last you hear that, she, she can't yeah. even spell quitting, let alone actually contemplate it. So we're just mm-hmm. sort of joking about it. But those little things, like they were, they were meant to just to keep pick, give us little pick me ups, and just try and keep your your mind in in a more positive state. Because that was going to be like there was, you know, I'm not going to lie to you as much as I'd like to say it was, you know, incredible, but it was at times. It was at times where like it just you were hanging on like. You're hanging on by a thread, because um, it's it's like say if you go out for a run or you go out on your bike and and say you get it lashes rain or you're out for a few hours and you're tired and you can come home and you yeah you have a hot shower and you have a nice mm-hmm. meal whereas out there like I can remember so many times you're just exhausted in the cabin and you're like I'm wet I'm cold I'm hungry I'm a thousand miles from land and I've got to get up in two hours time and do the same again so we really had to. F- force ourselves I think to try and prepare as best we could for the setbacks because there were so many of them um, and even like the tile that I mentioned mm-hmm. like I have here in my wallet that was the tile so when I came back I have little things written on the back of that yeah. and I keep this in my wallet because I open it regularly and I don't know if you ever come across um, something called the Florida effect it's um it was done in early nineteen nineties. It was basically a research and experiment in Florida where they got two groups of people and they put they gave them um flashcards just with words on them right. and they asked both groups for thirty minutes just form sentences and in one group they had words that were synonymous with old age. So grey, slow, retirement, whatever. Right. And both of the groups were unaware of this. They did their 30 minutes, then they walked out, they walked down a long corridor, they signed out and they left. And what the researchers were looking at, they didn't really care about the sentences they were making. They were just trying to see, time them, how long it took them to walk the length of the corridor. And they put the groups together so that they'd be sort of demographically similar, you know, it wasn't like loads of young people, loads of old people. And they found that everybody in the group where they had the old age words walked slower. So they were trying to see subliminally was that having an impact in how people actually acted out, i.e. the words that were in front of them. So this sort of concept, if you like, with the tile, there's actually a little bit of science, I suppose, maybe behind that. We weren't aware of that at the time. We just thought this makes a little bit of sense to have like little expressions. And we did a goodie bag of letters for each other as well. And this was on, actually, it was a, it was a friend suggested this. This mm. wasn't, wasn't, I didn't think of this myself. Uh, and he, what we did was I contacted Tony's family and friends in Canada and in Ireland and she did the same for me and I said look I want you to write Tori a letter and put into it whatever you want but the context under which she's going to get it is if she's having a bad day it's meant to be a bit of a pick-me-up so those sort of things really helped like even you know we mentioned it earlier like mom and dad you know dad wrote me a letter and it was so touching um that yeah, I remember when I read it like I broke down and I read it several times when I was out there in sort of mm-hmm. difficult times and it was a real source of encouragement, but emotionally there was such a big roller coaster that we couldn't really, ex- I, I didn't expect it. I knew it would be mm-hmm. tough. You're, everything was sort of heightened. Um, and I think that's why it, it both encouraged me and it brought me to tears as well at the same time. And I remember when we came back, um, we wrote a book about the trip and I said to dad, I said, can I put this letter in the book? Um, he was a joke. Well, yeah. if we get some royalties now, we can. You can, but and so many people like commented to me subsequently. Like, just that was a beautiful letter. Um, so I think like 
looking back at that trip, like I think definitely there's things, and I bring this into the work I do as well, that, that <clears throat> there's these small things, like if, even if you take out how, if you take results someone gets in their life, in whatever, their work, their family, their business, whatever it is, they're going to be influenced by their behaviours, like what I do every day is going to impact on outcomes I get. But what's actually driving that when you go below the surface, I think there's, there's things like feelings, it's how I think, how I feel, my emotions. And, you know, I subsequently come across a lot of research that actually supports this. Um, so it's, it's the softer things I think are, are potentially an awful lot more powerful. So like if, you know, if we were working together and I ask you to do something, but you know, you don't feel maybe respected or valued or you, you know, you've got an opinion on me, that's going to impact whether or not you might do it and understandably so. So I think, I think even with, as I said, even with work I do with companies, like it's this softer stuff and people call it softer stuff, but that's driving human behavior. It's driving how we feel, like how we live, how we are in the world. Um, and I think I, I, I took a lot of that from that trip that, you know, it, it's not just rowing across the Atlantic, but it's the ingredients maybe that went into that that I've tried to, to bring away from that to go, hang on a second, mindset does matter, but mindset connected to what's in here, like what mm. you're passionate about, if you can make that sort of a connection, even better, you know, if you look at, if I look at my strengths, when I say my strengths, I mean things that actually light me up, things that I enjoy, yeah, I'd be good at them if I enjoyed them, but I could be, you know, I could be good at attention to detail, but I might not like that. So there's, mm. there's, again, there's tools that I use with clients, which is around measuring those strengths, like it's based off positive psychology. So it's like, how can I embrace those more and use mm. those more? So I suppose there's a lot of learnings I've taken from just that trip in particular. there that you, you took an awful lot of the the subtle um, details of how your, your mind body spirit uh, entity operates and, and how to deal with adversity and the prospect of failure and all that so uh, if we could move the conversation mm. on to your your work as a business coach performance coach um, maybe I'm describing it incorrectly but you you still do or previously worked with businesses or individuals uh, in you know developing potential, you know maximizing their efficiency and uh, overcoming fear, whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, what I, one of the questions I have relating to that was, what's your experiences with when you first enga- uh, meet or engage with potential clients? Like, what are the recurring themes when you first meet with them that you can recognize that that this is an area that needs to be addressed, or there's a development potential, or yeah, like I think um, if I think of clients that I've worked with, I think most people will get to a point where they go, right, I need a bit of help. Something needs to shift. I'm not happy with something. I want to improve something. Sometimes it's people come at it with varying degrees of, sometimes it can be quite positive and that, look, things are going well, but there's an area here I just, I'm not really particularly happy with. Other people might come at it from more of a crisis. I'll give you a couple of examples maybe, maybe to illustrate it. Some people would come at it going, oh, look, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. It's not that 
you know, anybody needs to be fixed or anyone's broken. It's just, there's, there's maybe, I think the big thing is that there's too much on someone's plate um, and what's on the plate maybe isn't still serving them. They've maybe evolved or they've changed or they've moved on. That I'll give you an example. We had a client in Canada and a uh, really nice guy. Funnily enough, I actually met him and his girlfriend, now wife, hiking in Nepal. And they were, I was living in Ireland. No, I was traveling actually at the time. Subsequently ended up living in Vancouver. And um, this guy and his, his wife lived in Vancouver Island. So Mike got in touch with me, um, sort of out of the blue, and said, look, I'm feeling a little bit sort of demotivated, a little bit of a slump at work, and I just wouldn't mind doing a bit of work with you. So I said, yeah, great. So um, Mike, he's a partner in an accountancy firm, and similar to myself, I was about to say mid-30s, I just turned 40. So, you know, that, that sort of age. And uh, so one of the things that, that was coming up, I suppose, it wasn't that things were all bad or, you know, I wanted to change my career, but he wasn't enjoying his work uh, and when we sort of got into some of the detail it was just around one was valuing time and actually putting a value on my time and you know what I've acquired experience I've acquired skills and I need to value that and if I'm valuing it I'm going to I'm going to honor it by spending more time actually doing that so one of the things that we did was we looked at um, reviewing sort of strengths and I use a tool called Strengthscope for this with clients and a couple of things that came up for, for, for this client was one of the things he loved was creativity. And you mightn't always maybe associate creativity and an accountant in the, in the same sentence. So when we talked through this, it was like, well, what does that look like in your work? And he gave me a couple of examples. And I said, so how often are you doing that type of stuff in your work? And the answer was not at the moment at all. So in that situation, it was just about over time. And to be fair, he you know I was just there to nearly... I think as a coach, it's not about you, it's about the client. And you're there just to nearly hold a mirror up and say, to question, you're not connected to the outcome. Yeah, you bring a certain amount of technique to what you're doing, but it's very much someone is creating the space to just reevaluate things, and you're there just to facilitate that. It's all about like the individual person always has the answers in them. They're just not maybe aware of them. It's just a matter of bringing them out. Um, and, and with with this client it was just a matter of going okay I've ended up not delegating enough because I haven't valued my time there's other areas of work I could be doing in the practice so let's just gradually start to make a shift on those and I think the biggest thing can be is trying to go from zero to ten too quickly and it's just let's take a step then let's take another step let's build on it let's build on it and then it becomes a habit and it becomes you know someone has made a shift nearly without realizing it because they've just made small little incremental improvements and I think sometimes that there's in today's world it's like I want the magic pill mm. I want the magic bullet or whatever you know what's the quick fix and sometimes it's not a huge fix but it's just little shifts little shifts little shifts and all of a sudden someone has you know I had another client where they they were looking at leaving um, leaving the company they're working with and you know one of the things that we got to was well you know maybe there's other areas within the company that you could actually just like to shift mm-hmm. into. So it wasn't like it had to be a big, huge career change, but it was actually part of it, I think, is someone just getting a little bit more in touch, just developing their self-awareness a bit more to go, literally taking some time and go, right, this is me. This is Paul right now in 2016. And Paul in 2016 is different from Paul in 2015 or 14. And maybe mm-hmm. it's only a gradual thing, but it's just your area of interest maybe has shifted. So 
how can I embrace that and bring that into whether it's work and often I mean you ask me about recurring themes often it's all about the person it's not necessarily someone might have a business challenge but that business challenge like when I hold the mirror up to myself that's the challenge you know mm-hmm. that's what that's what can actually make the shift and improve it and change it so it, it, that's definitely a recurring theme that because someone someone's like oh so are you a life coach or a business coach or what is it I said that's why I use the word performance because I think when you pair it all back everybody wants to be happy they want to live a happy life a fulfilled life and it's not my job to say to someone what that is but everyone knows what makes them happy you know it could be for everyone's going to be different it could be my you know my work my family life my health my fitness all of these things will contribute in maybe a different way to people that make them happy. So when, like, if you can perform in the areas that matter to you, then you're going to be happier. You're going to enjoy your work. You're going, you know, you're going to, you're going to enjoy your life. And that's really why, when this person said, to you, like, are you a life coach or a business coach? Performance really is the word that I would use to sort of, supposed to characterise it. Um, okay, if that um, makes sense. I'd like to ask you something uh, on the back of that, and that you just mentioned about people who have too much on their plate and, mm. and taking on too much. I'd, I'd be interested to get your perspective on the the effect that the digital realm, the multimedia, Facebook, social media paradigm is having on the current work person, executive, whatever. Yeah. What's, what's your perspective on that? That, you know, as somebody who's an impartial observer and facilitator, could you talk talk to yeah, you about, like, and, and it also you know, what's like, your view on it both as a professional and, and in your own personal yeah. life as well? Well totally, because I yeah. mean I was just gonna say just to to put this right up front and centre, like I'm not perfect. I mean <laughs> I'm just like everyone else, like I have a phone here beside me on the table. Um I suppose I think one of the things in, in my opinion now is that I think technology has been a great thing, but I think it there's an awful lot of damage that it's doing as well. Um, if like if you take what you just said around social media and interactive technology, and that you know I can be in contact so often, I I've sort of started to view this more well. That's intrus- intruding on my life, so I I can't cont- I, I have a certain amount of time on this earth. I don't know how long it's going to be, so different things will compete for my time. I can only decide and I can choose how I spend my time, um, and I think. Like if, if, if it's social, if I'm choosing to pick the phone up or I'm allowing social media and what I'm going to just frankly call a lot of noise impact me, impact how I think, impacts, you know, talk about having too much on your plate. I think there's an element in me that I don't like the intrusiveness of it because um, I think for both for me personally and with clients that I've worked with, that often the biggest challenge is just creating a bit of space and a bit of time just to nearly think about, to literally, to, you know, you've probably heard the expression that a lot of business owners spend too much time in their business, not enough time on their business, just taking a step back to reflect. And I think you could apply the same principle to us as individuals, is like taking a little bit of time and a little bit of space to go, right, how are things going? Yep, yeah, I'm happy with this. Actually, do you know what? I'd like to make a shift there. And I think the noise and the social media and Quite frankly, I mean, pardon my French, but a lot of bollocks that gets thrown at us, yeah. um, it, it needs to be filtered out. Um, and I, th- I think that that is having a, an impact on people uh, because there's nearly, you know, if you go back, and even I can even say this myself, where 
you know, someone might leave the office or leave their place of work at five or six or seven or whatever, and that was it. They, they, you know, they unwound, they did what they did in the evening times, they got back in the next day and they go again. Whereas, you know, the work, the nature of the workforce or the workplace now, it's nearly boundaryless. And I think that is impacting on people. Like if you think, if you, I think a good example is if you think of a professional athlete and they'll, they'll play a match maybe once a week and they'll train throughout the week, but a big part of their routine is recovery. And it's obviously their, you know, how they, how they fuel themselves, their nutrition, mm-hmm. etc. But if you think about us, maybe if I could, if we use the word, you know, in the corporate world, um, like we're all, and this is this isn't my terminology, it's, it's terminology that's out there. Like we're corporate athletes, but we're being asked to perform every single day. But I think a lot of us, and I include myself in this from time to time. I'm absolutely by no means have this nailed down. But if we don't give ourselves the time to tune out, you know, to get good sleep, to get good hydration, get good food get some downtime, spend time with the family, the kids, get the exes in, that all adds up over time and it really affects, even forget about how people perform, but just how people are and their happiness and their stress levels. There's a part of me that thinks there's some great improvements with technology and and like anyone else, you know, in 2016, I I use it, Um, but I think it needs to be controlled and and that's easier said than done because I think there's, there's nearly an addiction that has crept in for... Well, I was going to ask you, how, how, so to take it out of your, your professional life and into your more, your day-to-day yeah. and your relationship with health and fitness and, you know, you, you look and, and, and resonate a healthy vibe, vibration. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so, you. So, you know, and I know you're, you're obviously into your nutrition and stuff, but what, or when did you start to, to become conscious about your own health and body and mind and, and what, what do you do to counteract the, the digital noise and, and that like do you do you exercise do you meditate or whatever like what's yeah what are your key insights there a couple of things again taken from some of the trips you've so much downtime and you've quiet time and i think a lot of us can get stripped of that in today's world um i'm probably lucky in that i've always been active and it's just become part of my life I, you know, there's a couple of things that i definitely in the last two years because professionally it's been busy, it's been challenging, you know, I've gotten involved in a business, um, so there's, it's been very, very tough, and I found that in the same way that people would schedule meetings, I've, st- I've scheduled my downtime, like, so if it's, I've got a meeting at four o'clock today, and I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that meeting, and it'll happen, in the same time, I've sort of scheduled my exercise time as, that's non-negotiable, I'm going doing that, mm. sorry Jim, can't meet you then, I try to bring the mindset to that. This is this is my choice, and someone might say, "Oh, I just don't have time for it," and with respect, I I call horseshit in that and say, "We all have the ability to choose our time. Of course, we have constraints, and we might have certain work situations, family life. But at the end of the day, and if you were to to ask somebody lying on their deathbed, what choices would they change? Um, I, I again, I've read bits about this that you know some of the top five, ten things that people wish they had done, we have the absolute power to choose it. So I think for me, A, scheduling the time and trying to say, well, that's a meeting. It's a meeting with myself. It's my downtime, whether it's going out on the bike, whether it's doing a yoga class, whether it's going out on the kayak, whatever it might be. Um, even on the phones, flight mode, great, great little thing to do. Mm. Just it goes on to flight mode and I'm spending the next hour or two hours or whatever I'm doing. Um, I think it's it's nearly 
like if you talk about I'm doing a workshop next week with a client around mental fitness and I think most people can understand the concept of physical fitness you know I walk or I run or I exercise or whatever they they understand that that's something it's a practice that you build it's not something that sort of yep you're fit and then you stop you know it's an ongoing thing and some people love it and some people don't but I think even with mental fitness the similar principles I think have to be brought into it that it's an ongoing thing and it's not something like to manage stress and as you said earlier the noise that is coming at everyone that's that requires I think daily practices so whether it is I mean you mentioned meditation I do a little bit of this but I do it you know it's literally it could be sitting quietly in a chair for five minutes I don't have to shave my head and hang upside down off a tree um, you know wear a coloured robe I could just I could do this in the car you know um, a friend of mine said to me recently he said he used to come in the door after um, years ago at work and he's a million miles an hour and he's he's still buzzing from work yeah. he's in the front door and the kids are around and he, he never really just got time just to just unwind um, and I remember he, he made a great suggestion to somebody we were working with recently he said you could before you go in, in the house you could pull up outside and you could just sit there and just let the thoughts come let them go think of your breathing it's five minutes you don't have to have a huge amount of time but I think cumulatively these little daily practices if they're if they're put in there then you build your mental fitness you build your resilience you you, you build a, I think a much happier way of being and I think it, nowadays it's different to what it was 10 15 20 years ago and I think maybe because of the nature of how society has evolved I think these things are increasingly important that mm. we sort of have to do them um, or if we don't do them it'll catch up on us eventually uh, if that makes sense yeah it's, it's, I agree yeah. like I'm, I'm I'm very much in tune with that yeah. myself and yeah. I've got my own strategies and, and tips to navigate the the assault course that is you know modern life or whatever yeah, um, yeah. do you I, I, actually something I, w- I want to dig into yeah. is your your new business venture and you you started a, a new juicing business in the last year and a half two years maybe yeah a year and a half um, and that, that's a big jump from you know you spoke about career changes and, and, and shifting into a new arena. So that, that's that's pretty pretty big, I, I would have thought. From, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. So would you be able to talk a little bit about yeah. how and why you decided to get into it? And yeah, then, totally. You know, manifest into an active business as well? Yeah, I was approached about a year and a half ago, roughly, by uh, Breen, been a very successful business guy in Limerick. And um, I would have known him, and I wouldn't have known Breen too, too well, but... Um, he, he approached me and he said, look, I want, to, I want to talk to you about a new business that I've been thinking of for five, six years. So he's retired from an accountancy practice. He set up another company. He's retired. He's the chairman of it. Um, but over the last five or six years, he said to me, Paul, I've been researching and writing about, you know, the struggles that we're facing as a workforce and a society in terms of our health. Our obesity rates are going through the roof. Um, we're on the go. We're busy. A lot of convenience foods out there. A lot of them are just process muck um, people are struggling to make time for, to eat well to look after mm. themselves um, struggling to make time for energy or for exercise and I want to do something about it so I was intrigued straight away because I know that that has come into the coaching work as well so we, I, we started I was just consulting with Breen like Breen was the you know the founder of the business but we didn't know what the business might be and um, Breen's wife Fiona has made cold pressed vegetable and fruit juices for 15 years plus um, so they as he said to me it was probably I've been the, the beneficiary of a lot of this mm. 
um, and we looked at juicing as a as a product, the first product. So I suppose the idea was to build over time a brand that would be synonymous with health and well-being and healthy snacking on the go. And nearly just, it's a call to action, but it's recognising that we're, we're in a busy, fast-paced world. Um, so how, how can something, the company's called Sisu, how can, how can Sisu do something in that space? So the first product line, if you like, was cold-pressed juices. And, um, you know, I, I, I worked with Breen on a consulting basis, really, for the first couple of months. And then said, look, would you, know, would you get involved full-time? Uh, which I did, and, and, and I am to this day. And it's been... You know, I don't mind saying it. it's been the toughest toughest thing I've done, mm-hmm. bar none. Uh, give me the Atlantic any day of the week. Like it's it's been um, it's been a challenge. We we've had some some great wins and successes, but also again to be to be totally open. Probably maybe six months ago, I sort of realised as well that while I was very passionate about what we were trying to do, on a day to day basis, you know the reason I went from the wealth management world into coaching was working with people in groups in one-on-one and I was sort of moving away from that um, so you know I, I spoke to Breen about this and I said you know we're, we're making progress but this this isn't I don't want to spend all my time in this area um, so we've been you know since then I suppose I've, I've started now to if I could say move away from the product side of things and f- come back more to the coaching I've developed this was a, a corporate health and performance program and it's workshop-based program that you know we're providing to clients, to companies, and um, doing some one-on-one stuff with people as well. So I've nearly, I, I've come back more into that because that's um, it, that's that's my passion, um, and and it's it's been a difficult journey that I, I you know we we've got Sisu to a point now, and, and things are going well, and there's loads of good opportunities coming up. But I suppose I would always, you know, the reason I I sort of decided to go into that sort of full-time if you like was a simple was mantra I think if, if I think I'd regret not doing something I always tend to do it so if I think oh if I passed on this would I regret not trying that 10-20 years from now um, and for me with, when this came up with Breen I was like this is very interesting I think I would have regretted it if I hadn't have gone into it um, but equally I, I suppose I probably always tried to stay true to myself in terms of Mm. What you know, as I said earlier, like was we only when you get one crack at this, um. So I want to make the most of it. So Bree's been great, like to say, look, I want you to be focusing on the area that that you're interested in, and um. So that's why I suppose even though I was sitting down today, mm. there's been so much stuff going on in the last couple of months. It's taken a while to you know to sure. maybe, to be honest, probably get a little bit of of normality back as well. Because as you know, when you start a business, stuff comes at you that you just you know you, you can't have seen there's rogue waves coming from different directions so i suppose that that's been um hugely it's been a huge learning curve um it's been interesting it's been fulfilling and it's been tough as well at times um the business now is like we're, we're being successful we've got it moving uh, we have a great product we're starting to build a good brand we've opened up doors and there's doors opening up so it's very exciting so we've gotten to the point just sort of as you mentioned where it's Right now, to sustain it and maybe to grow it beyond where it is, we felt that we need to bring in some people who have the skills to do that. And it's, it's part, I think, to sustain yourself in whatever you're doing, you've got to be passionate about it. And that's where 
you know, the, 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 the thinking on Sisu as well is that we're going to bring in other healthy snacks and products, but we need to, we need to have more people involved who understand the, the wider food business in Ireland mm. um, and also routes to market, you know, in terms of we work directly with some companies, but some companies are very large, so they use a food service company. So we have to understand that and how do we partner and how can we work with these companies? Because ultimately, if we want to bring a healthy, nutritious, cold-pressed juice and have it available to people, our whole thing was have it available to people where they work because that's where we spend a lot of our time. So make it convenient, make it affordable, make it accessible. Um, but to do that, we realised, well, okay, well, we have to partner with food service companies, so we need to understand that. Um, so that's what we've been, we've been able to bring some skills in-house um, onto the team of people who know that world right. better, quite frankly, than, than I would. Um, so I suppose the, the, the fight, if you like, or to, to sustain it, it's there. I think part of that is, is, is being honest enough to go, okay, if we want to sustain this, there's the skill sets that I don't have that we need to bring in. So from you know, understanding the food business mm. and the food industry, I don't come from that background. So we had to we had to make some um, I think decisions, but I think I think to come back to if you're passionate about something, it's much easier to sustain it because you're enjoying what you're doing every day. Um, and I could I could work seven days a week, no problem. Uh, and I've done that for quite a you know, I won't say I haven't worked seven days a week, but you you're always on and you're always thinking about it. And that's where over the last year it's been really important for me to balance it, to have my downtime. Even if that means, you know what, I've got to do some work today on a Saturday, but I'm boxing off two hours or I'm going out on the bike or whatever it is. So it's been really important to try. I honestly couldn't have navigated the last year if I wasn't paying attention to that. And I'm sort of, I'm, I'm quite proud of that internally to go, right, if I'm talking to someone about health and well-being, I've lived that myself and I know how important it is in a stressful environment. Um, so I think... I could I could do seven days a week on the coaching work, on the performance work, on the health and wellness. I love that, but I know that I wasn't. I don't love the food industry enough to be right in the middle and the driving force of that. Um, and not only do I not love it enough, but I also don't have the background. You know, I don't. I don't come from the food world. And I, I mean, you you've you've been in this. So when you when you do start to get into it, you realize that, you know the product, the vegetables and the fruit that you source, that's critical to how good the juice is going to taste. You also have to factor in your pricing. You also have to understand the market. So where is Ireland at in terms of cold-pressed juicing? We're miles behind other European countries. We're just not there yet. We'll get there, I think, in time, but it's just not there at the moment. So there's an education piece that has to go into that as well, so that people know if they pick up a cold-pressed juice versus something that's pasteurised and you know, it's at the other end of the spectrum. There's a bit of an education piece goes on there. So all of these things factor into how the business operates. Um, and I think it's just recognizing that there's certain skill sets that the business needs. There's certain skill sets that I have and it's making sure they're properly matched up. Um, so it's been, it's been a yeah. challenge, but it's, it's, it's one I think we're really, we're coming out the other end okay. into the okay. good, good shape, so to speak.
something you had mentioned earlier, Paul, was about working with businesses and corporate health and wellness and stuff. Is, is that something you maybe want to tell me a bit more about? Yeah, like it, it's very much, um, I suppose, probably if I took my, my working life up to now, if I took my coaching life up to now, I can absolutely see that the, the environment, the culture that exists within a, an organisation that has such an impact on how people perform in work, how they are, but also how they are outside of work. So if I'm working somewhere and you know my health and wellness isn't, isn't on the radar at all and I'm stressed, I'm working crazy hours, I'm coming home, that's affecting how I am with my wife, my kids, my partner, etc. Um, so one of the areas conscious of this, and a lot of conversations I've had with HR professionals, that the area of corporate health and wellness resilience, avoiding burnout, supporting our people in challenging work environments. That's an area I'm just, I'm very, very interested in it. And it's been at the core of what I've done for a long time. Um, so I've built out a corporate health and performance program that I'm now starting to work with companies on. And it's very workshop based, it's very interactive. And the idea is that if you can look after as much as a business can, but if a business can be cognizant of our employees' health and wellness matters. It matters to how they perform in work. Us as, a, as an employer, if we're a good employer, we're saying, you know what, we actually value our people. We want to develop, we want to attract great people. We want to help them develop their potential, grow them. Um, then we have to pay attention to their wellness, to how they are. And that's the area, that's like the workshop-based program that I've developed is completely focused in that area. So it's exciting because it's, it's something that some companies are absolutely immersed in it. Others are, it's just not on their radar. And some companies, probably smaller businesses, know, I, I think we should be doing something here, but what exactly is it? And obviously budgets are an issue for businesses mm-hmm. as well. So that's really, it's just, it's the area, I suppose, I'm, you know, it's the area I'm passionate about because yeah. it, it feeds into what we spoke about earlier that, God, we only have one life, so, you know, let's make mm-hmm. the most of it. Um, and obviously having the platform as... Uh, GC uh, company as well as as, a, as something that you can as you said practice what you preach almost that you're not coming to it from a theoretical point of view that you're you're speaking to people from experience you know that, yeah yeah but that's very inspiring I think for people from who are receiving the message to that somebody coming in isn't all talk and I think it's also like and I I I share this with any clients or companies I've worked with is that. Yeah, I walk the walk, but also I, I don't live in a bubble and I'm not I'm not pretending to be quote unquote perfect. So I'll mm. you know, fall off the wagon and I could have a crazy busy week where I don't get to exercise as much as I'd like or, you know, I've had some late meetings, so God the last couple of days I haven't eaten as well as I'd like. So I yeah, I, I know I do walk the walk, but I'm also human and sure. I think it's important to recognise that that mm. when you're working with people like yeah, of course. We all have good days and bad days. So yeah. I think that's that's well, important. I'm a fan of the eighty twenty principle. You know, the the Pareto as well. The yeah. first thing, you know, it's like, uh, it's the aggregate of your exactly. day in day out experience. And I've in recent times I've slightly took my foot off the pedal of of dogma and strict adherence to a regime of exercise, diet, drinking, yeah. whatever. And I've found that. I'm I'm being a little bit I suppose kinder to myself in in the judgmental aspect of the balancing up of uh, as you said being a, being okay with working late or having mm. to get up early or m- missing an exercise yeah. uh, slot or whatever, um, but also being mindful of 
that slope towards indiscipline as well you know yeah and that's constantly i'm constantly recalibrating my own internal you know uh, mechanisms of of self-control and self-discipline yeah and, yeah um and trying to evolve as well with my age and yeah. my my physical mindset and something actually only recently i've factored in is the, the seasons as well because totally. we're not machines you know yeah. we respond to the environment both both in terms of sunlight hours in the day yeah our, our physical core temperatures how we feel when we walk out the front door on yeah. a lovely warm summer's day you're energized yeah you know, there's a spring in your step yeah. as i said earlier right? yeah the cold winter's day you retreat you compress um and then you know celebrating and engaging with that so yeah. like i love being in contact with the physical ground uh, i feel energized i feel an electrical charge enter into my body I, as much as I can, I walk around barefooted. I know the the Californian kind of lifestyle is, yeah. is great, but if you live in Ireland, it's fucking freezing. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, raining all the yeah, time. Yeah, so yeah. as much as I can, I'm barefooted. Yeah. And, um, and then I'm mindful of the fact that look, this is this is limited. It's precious. Totally. Limited opportunity to be in touch with nature. Um, and I, you know, that's something as you said, you're you're kind of become more mindful and conscious mm. of your environment how you operate and one thing that i've learned um is how how individual everybody's journey is in, exactly. in their relationship towards health and fitness and yeah my mental health and something totally. that might work for you may not work for us exactly and the whole I think that's dogma huge. Yeah. is do- the more i see somebody coming at me with the dogmatic message of you know paleo is everything you yeah. know low carb this you know it's too one dimension it's too one dimension. we're not like we're Human beings were multi-dimensional creatures, and I mean you just even you said it about feeling energized, and there's, there's some great there's um I don't know if you ever come across a book called The Powerful Engagement, it's written by two U.S. psychologists and they spent and um, the, you know they they use this term the corporate athlete, um, and and this was the the core proposition that they put, which is based on all their years, a couple of decades of working with athletes and companies, is that you know if you if you can manage your energy like your physical your mental, your spiritual, your emotional, all those components, if they can be managed, forget about managing time, manage the energy that I bring to what I'm doing. Um, and and there's, a, there's another company in the UK called The Energy Project, and there's a great book called Coherence um, by the, the MD who set that up, Dr. Uh, Alan Watkins. He's a cardiologist um, and he's a neuroscientist as well. And it's, again, it's bringing a lot of I suppose, science and research around Actually, your heart is so important, like in terms of how you breathe and, and what that does and how it makes you feel. And as you said, how you are in yourself. I think that this dogmatic, oh, you must do this. Like if I'm relying on loads of discipline and willpower to do something, I'm not going to be able to sustain that long term. Discipline and willpower run out. If, if I have a little bit of discipline and willpower, maybe just to, just to get myself going. But if instead that becomes habitual and it's a habit and it's not something i have to rely on and you said it very well as well is is being kind to myself like my version of being physically fit and well will be different to someone else mm-hmm. and if you put 50 of us in this room we'd all have a different version and there's no right or wrong it's like it's what i want as you said being kind to myself going Do you know what i feel like a fry and i'm gonna have mm-hmm. a fry and you know I, you know it's it's the balance of it I, I think it's everyone is so unique. We're multidimensional, and there isn't a one size fits all. Yeah. There's a there's a lovely expression. I actually came across it in um, I was buying 
pillows or sheets or something and it's it's on a canvas you know those sort of like canvas um frames mm. or pictures and it's just um just as life isn't about avoiding the storms it's about learning how to dance in the rain mm. i think that's where you said it earlier like we're all on our own journeys so it's about ebbing and flowing and and dancing in the rain of your life like it's not about being dogmatic and i must do this or yeah. i must do this it's like you know with coaching or with health and wellness like it's not necessarily this is the system but you bring a whole load of different things into it you know there could be certain parts of what i mentioned from some of those books there's some great material in there that i've used in reference and said hey i can come up with this these guys have but this is really good and it helps because a b and c mm. i think it's that confidence to say it's a multi-dimensional approach to it. Mm. That that I think that allows for the fact that we're all different. Yes, I, I find it really interesting, and, and just to expand on that, I met with a friend last night, and he smokes cigarettes, and I he he constantly kind of reflects on the fact that I want to give up, and there's the this desire to change, but he just doesn't seem to have the ability to stop smoking, and. Mm. You know, intellectually, he knows it's not a good thing. And, yeah. and, but there's, there's something within him, something that's preventing him from stopping smoking. And rather than me give him advice and say, look, you need to do this, you need to read mm. that book or whatever, it's something that I, I suppose just a word of wisdom maybe to, to him. And I was almost kind of reinforcing my own mantra of, of how I feel about change is mm. you instinctually know yourself in the 4 a.m., moments when you wake up and you you have that that moment of clarity let's say you drink too much alcohol or mm. overweight you said earlier you know yourself you don't really have to be told mm. and there might be some inspiring books you read or a light bulb moment but um i think change is easier much easier than if you're to take on this dogmatic yeah um the program of yeah of military style boot camp and it's yeah, not yeah. really kind of resonating with you that's not sustainable yeah because you're tapping i think when you do what you're describing there you're also tapping into your own intrinsic authentic motivation for so why do i want to shift 10 kilos or you know i really want to give up cigarettes but i i'm struggling and i think when someone taps into that 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 inner honesty that they have a heightened maybe self heightened sense of self-awareness but they realize why they're doing it that, that sustains mm-hmm. very one of my very good friends and he lives in the States and he's probably like 6'2"-ish and probably, I don't know, 13, 14 stone. He's a big bone guy like at, at a healthy right. weight, probably that sort of weight. And um, over the years, he had, oh, I'd say it was over 20 stone and you know, he'd be coming back and forth for weddings with uh, you know, friends' weddings and stuff. And it got to a point where we were at a wedding one day and I remember having a conversation with him going, Jesus, like, what's going on? This can't be good. And he said to me, he said, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not drinking. And I said, all right. And he said, because, you know, he probably had a, he was traveling a lot for work, taking club clients. I suspect probably had a metabolism, you know, to put weight on a little bit more than, than other people. So all these things, and he had tried different diets or, you know, he made an attempt to, to try and shed some weight. But he said to me at this time when I was talking to him, he said, well, he was playing with one of his sons and I think he was six, seven months or something. He was sort of getting up off the ground and just horsing around him. And he said he caught himself in a moment where he was out of breath. And he said just that was his light bulb moment to go, if I don't sort myself out, I'm not going to see my little boy grow up. 
and he tapped into something that was intrinsically really important for him and he made adjustments started eating yeah. a bit healthier started to exercise he looks fantastic whatever mm. it is now six seven years later looks great that like not only just for him but i would say for his kids and his family and those around him i'd say that they've probably taken some inspiration but he's also yeah. like if if i if I don't look after myself, or if I'm, I take your friend you mentioned, if I'm smoking and if I've got kids and I don't smoke kids, it's bad. They're looking at me going, hang on a second, Dad, you're doing it. So you're selling, you're actually saying something to people without even saying it, going, well, sure, it's okay, I'm doing it. And you, you might not want that. I used this example the other day. I, I was doing a presentation and referenced the Atlantic trip. And I said, um, just hands up here if anyone thinks they could row across the Atlantic. And I said, be honest, don't be like, yeah. sorry, don't be modest. Said, Stick your hand up. Yeah. And nobody did. And I said, look, for what it's worth, I think everyone here could if you, if you wanted to. And so I said, right, I'm going to come back to that. And 20 minutes later, I said, do you remember I asked you earlier about that? And no one put their hands up. And I said, okay, just work with me. I know this is a bit weird, but I want you to think of the people who are the most important to you. Could be your wife, your kids, mm-hmm. your family, all of them. Just picture them in your mind. People are sort of nodding their heads. And I said, right, I want you to imagine they're all over in Antigua and they're sitting over there. So can you picture them? Yeah, okay. Now, I know this is make-believe, but let's just say you have a year to row across the Atlantic to get ready and train and prepare. If you don't do that, every single person you're visualizing in your mind will be dead, gone. You will never see them again. So I said, I know this is a bit weird, but just if that was the scenario, raise your hand if you think you do it, Mm. or at least you die trying every single person put their hand up. And all I was trying to just illustrate was when you when you tap into that powerful yeah. internal drive, as you said, it's, it's, it is genuinely it's unstoppable. The power of the mind, as they say. You know? Yeah, but I, but I think it's the mind connecting with the, the soul yeah. and the heart mm-hmm. or what's really in there. If I was to ask you, in the generalist possible yeah. version of, of what I'd call a key insight. Try and keep this as short as I could. Probably my biggest fear is to ever meet the person I could have been. So, 5, 10, 20 years from now, out for dinner or whatever, I meet someone. And it's not that I want to be them, but I'm like, God, they followed their dream or they took a chance. Or, you know, they, they, they tried to do, God, I sort of thought about that, but I never went for it is I'd say never, like if you can, if someone's like to answer your question would be, don't ever meet the person you could have been. Um, and maybe to expand on that would be, you know, if you wait till you're sure, you'll never do anything. So will we all experience a little bit of fear, a little bit of uncertainty? God, I've got a little bit, don't be afraid to go outside your comfort zone. Because I, I think taking that one step just take a step. Even if someone is, is looking to make a change or they're looking to try something, don't overthink it. Take a step. Just take one step and see where it gets you. Um, because I think that thing, and I, I read that, I remember years ago, um, I'm, you know, I don't mind saying it, I'm not particularly religious, but you know, like a lot of people have brought up Catholic. I remember being at Mass years ago mm-hmm. and there was this expression on the top of the thing, if you wait till you're sure, you'll never do anything. It's always stuck with me that 
you know, you, you can overthink things sometimes. Just say, fuck it, take a step, do right. one thing. Because um, I think tying back into what I said earlier that, God, life's short and we don't know how long we have. And, you know, tomorrow I could be diagnosed with something and I might only have a year or two years or whatever. It's like, I don't ever want to meet that person I could have been. So, cool. Just. There's no such thing as can't, as your mom said. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I think, like that one. <laughs> you know, I, I think it is, yeah. a, you know, I, some, someone, um, was a friend of mine posted something on, on funny, dumb, with social media and Facebook recently. And I tried to remember it was, you know, when I was young, you know, I was dying to finish school. Then I was dying to get my first job and then I was dying to buy my house. Right. And it continues along this and then it goes, now I'm dying and I forgot to live. Mm. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's precious. It's like, mm. don't, don't look too far ahead. You know, I don't know what yeah, can be, yeah. look, I'm not any different, but it's, that's no, such that's, a really That's a great insight. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, it's, um, it's something we should all remind ourselves of for sure, you know. Um, thanks to me and Paul, I really enjoyed speaking me with too. you. Me too. Uh, do you want to take a, this opportunity if somebody listening to this wants to contact you or how can people get to, to touch base with you? Yeah, I mean, look, feel, feel free to touch base. I mean, my, my own company website is Taurus Consulting, so TaurusConsulting.com. That's T-U-R-A-S. And the reason I chose the name Taurus, as some people might know, Taurus is the Gaelic for journey. And, you know, we're all, we're all on our own journeys. Um, so that's why, you know, contact details and stuff are, are on that. Cool. Um, are you open for businesses? Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. And, you know, our, our, on, on the juicing side, our, you know, the company is Sisu, mm-hmm. so S-I-S-U, Sisu.ie. Um, so we've, we have a lot of good stuff going on there. But, yeah, so that's if anyone wants to reach out. Cool. Feel free. Watch the space. Watch the space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for the Yeah, thanks for moving. It's really enjoyable. Yeah, cool. thanks. Brilliant. Cool.